At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Is the Samaritans, uh, uh, hundreds of years back, had actually uh, intermarried with Gentiles. So they were not pure-blooded Jews, and so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans did not like that very much, so they looked down on the Jews. And there was hundreds of years of racial tension, so much so that if a Jew was traveling from the north to the south, they would not go through Samaria. They would actually travel around Samaria, uh, refusing to even go through the that area because they did not want to be defiled by them. But Jesus Christ uh, decided to go through it. You see, Jesus Christ faces hundreds of years of racial tension head on. That's what Jesus does. So instead of going around Samaria, Jesus goes directly through it and he finds himself sitting right next to a well. And at that well, there is a woman. Now, at the time of day this was, was in the middle of the day. It was noon, right in the middle, uh, in the Middle East, in the middle of the day, meaning it is blazing hot. Now, the time of day that this woman comes to the well tells us everything that we need to know about her concerning this story. You see, women in that day and time, they went to the well first thing in the morning. Why? Because it's hot. You, you, you wake up early in the morning and go to the well and draw your water so that you're not going in the heat of the day, so that you can go back and do everything else that you need to do. In addition, as these women traveled to this well, uh, it, it, would be, uh, it would be gossip time. It would be catch-up time. It would be, you know, how, you know how's your mama and them? You know, it's a, that's the type of conversations they would be having as they're traveling uh, together to the well. And so what we learn about this woman by virtue of her going to the well at noon is that she is an outcast that she is looked down upon in her community, that, her, that, that the community that is there does not care whether or not uh, she is safe. They, they, are, they are free just to let her go on her own. They do not care anything about this woman. And so Jesus goes to this well, and there is this woman, this outcast, and he asks her for a drink. Now, that's shocking for a number of reasons. First off, it's shocking because of the hundreds of years of racial tension that, that he is willing to ask her for a drink. Second, it is shocking because she is a woman and he is a man. And in those days, men did not speak to women in public and certainly rabbis did not speak to women in public. But he asks her for a drink. Now, she's put off by this, <laughs> a, a little thrown off by the whole situation. One, what's this man doing here? Two, he's obviously a Jew. Three, why is he asking me for water when he is a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman? But instead of explaining to her why he is asking her for a drink of water, what he does is he, he tells her this, if you knew who I was, uh, you would have asked me for a drink of living water. Now, she's even more confused by this. Uh, the distinction that he has placed on the word water has, has totally confused. He, he doesn't just say, well, you should give me a drink of water because it's hot, woman. Give me some water. He says, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for water. As a matter of fact, you would have asked me for living water. And again, she's totally confused, totally thrown off, has no idea what's happening. So by God's grace, Jesus decides to give her a little clarification, which he does in John chapter 4. <clears throat> 
verse 13, he says this, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the well that, that was right there in front of them, the, the, uh, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the clarification that he brings to her. He says, if you knew who I was, you'd have asked me for living water. Living water. What are you talking about? I am talking about, Jesus says to her, the water that wells up inside of you leading to eternal life. He is, he is giving and offering this woman a way of salvation to be, to be forgiven of her sins, past, present, and future. He is offering this, this lonely outcast of a woman. He is welcoming someone uh, who is not of his race into the family of God. He is offering her hope, life, meaning, purpose. He offers all of it. He lays it out there on the table just drink of the living water he says to her now listen to her response it, 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 just, listen to the desperation in this woman's response verse 15 says this the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water her soul is thirsty she's tired of being the outcast and she asks for the living water now Here's what Jesus should do. Jesus, at this very moment, here's what Jesus should do. He should lead her in the sinner's prayer. Right? Who grew up in the Baptist church? Right? You grew up in the Baptist church? You, you, you prayed the sinner's prayer? She, I mean, he, he has offered her salvation. She says she wants in. What Jesus should do right then is offer her the sinner's prayer. As a matter of fact, they're at a well. Why not find a trough, right? Fill up the trough. She says the sinner's prayer, dunk her in, boom, right? He's, I mean, he's all done. But that's not what Jesus does. Look, look at what Jesus does. It's astonishing. It's shocking. It, you, you, you say, no, 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 don't, don't say this, Jesus. Listen to what he says. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Wow, Jesus. Really? Way to totally kill the moment. That, that is, that's inappropriate. It, it is, I mean, he should not have said that. He offered salvation. She said she wanted salvation. I mean, do the sinner's prayer, get her baptized and be done. Instead, Jesus brings up her sex life. Wow. Why? Why in the world would Jesus do such a thing? Jesus is saying to her, if you want the living water, you must give to me all of yourself. Now, not in the way she had been giving herself to those other men, but in a way to where she gives total allegiance to Christ in a way that she totally surrenders her entire life to him, including her sex life, in such a way that she says, all that I am and all that I have for your kingdom's cause, Christ, I give it all to you. I surrender all to you. If you want the living water, you have to surrender all. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying to her. You see, Jesus doesn't just want your Sunday attendance. He doesn't just want your 20 minutes of Bible reading time. Jesus wants all your time. Jesus doesn't just want your tithe money. He wants you to steward all of your money for his glory. Jesus doesn't just want you to teach your kids to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus wants all of your parenting to point to him. Jesus wants your life. Amen. 
He wants all of it. He wants every single bit of it. Church family, if you're taking notes, Christians put to death individualism and we sacrifice our independence and we give it all to Jesus. Individualism goes out the window. Independence, my life is mine and I decide what I'm going to do and I'm the master of my own destiny. Absolutely not. All of it goes out the window and all of it, every single bit of it goes to Christ. This is why the old hymn says this, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow, worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. This is the call of Christ. This is the call of Christ on our lives. If that is true, which I believe the Bible teaches that it is true, not only is Christ calling us to surrender all, he is calling us specifically to surrender our sexuality to him. If it applies to our money, if it applies to our time, if it applies to all of those things, it certainly applies to our sexuality. Now, in just saying that, uh, in just saying that out loud, that Jesus wants to be king over our sexuality, I understand and I am keenly aware that I am speaking this into a culture which says the exact opposite. I, I understand that by saying uh, we must surrender our sexuality to Christ, I'm speaking this into a culture that says the individual is the one who decides their sexual orientation. The individual is the one who decides what they do sexually. I understand that, but I'm telling you this is what the Bible is calling us to. The Bible calls us to allow Jesus to be king over our sexuality. This is what the Bible says. Here's the whole sermon. I'll give it to you right here. What a Christian does with his or her body is determined by what God has done for them. What a Christian does with his or her body is determined by what Jesus has done for them. Jesus has bought you with a price. What price did he pay? His blood. He paid with his blood. They came and they arrested him. They beat him. They mocked him. They scourged him. He was hung on a tree. He bled and he died and he went into the tomb and with his body, he resurrected out of the grave to purchase you. And so now what you do with your body is determined by what he has done for you, the price that he has paid for you. So we surrender our bodies to Christ because he bought our bodies with his blood. Not only did he purchase us, listen, to, I mean, this is where, this is where our, our minds should be absolutely blown. Not only does he purchase us, but he unites us with himself. Let that sink in. Not only does he purchase us with his blood, he makes us holy by virtue of his blood. And because now we are holy, he brings us to himself and unites us in a very real and spiritual way. He unites us to himself so that whatever we do with our bodies, that is Christ's body. That is why we surrender our bodies to him, because we are united in him. Are y'all with me, church family? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> 
So, this is what the text is calling us to. Christian, you have been purchased by God. He ransomed you from death. Not only did he purchase you, but he joined you to himself in a very real spiritual way. His spirit lives inside of you, and wherever we go, the spirit goes with us. So now we walk in the power of Christ. We live in the victory of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16, and because of this, we will honor him with our bodies. That's the sermon. I'm done. Now, what I need to do is prove it to you <clears throat> from the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I figure it's going to be quiet in here this morning because we're talking about sex, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'll preach by myself today. Here we go. 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 6, <clears throat> uh, starting in verse 12. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. All things <clears throat> are lawful for me. Stop right there. What... Um, what this likely is, is a slogan or a phrase um, that the Corinthians used. Uh, now, commentators uh, go back and forth over the exact origins of this phrase. Did the Apostle Paul teach it to them, um, or is this a cultural phrase? We're not sure either way, uh, but, but you can understand, even if it was a cultural phrase, the, the Apostle Paul uh, may, may have used it in, in some way, and, and so the Corinthians are picking up on it. You can, you can imagine uh, maybe if someone said to the Apostle Paul, you know, Christians uh, don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't chew, they don't run with girls that do. Uh, Christians don't watch rated R movies. Christians don't listen to secular music. Christians go to church twice on Sunday. Uh, Christians always do their morning devotions. And Christians only read from the uh, King James Version. Uh, Paul would say, no, 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 absolutely not. All things are lawful to me. Right? So, so a clear understanding or a biblical understanding of this phrase, all things are lawful for me, helps us to understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Therefore, I am free in Christ. Amen? All things are lawful for me. But, but a misunderstanding of this phrase would lead into antinomianism or uh, anti-law or um, living in such a way that, that is sinful and brings shame to the name of Christ. Right? So, so what he does then is he puts uh, some, some clarification <clears throat> on this statement. Look back at it again, verse <clears throat> 12. All things are lawful for me. Okay, fine. But, the Apostle Paul says, I, I have some addition. I, I want to clarify this statement that, that is being used. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. First distinction. Okay, he, he wants to clarify. All things are lawful for me. Okay, fine. We're free in Christ, but not everything's helpful. Second distinction that he gives. Look back at it again. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So not, not everything's helpful, and I, I will not be dominated. Okay? <clears throat> Let's talk about that first one. Not, not all things are helpful for me. Um, as a Christian, do you have the Christian freedom to uh, smoke cigarettes, uh, eat fast food and Little Debbies, and drink soda all day long? Yes, you do. Is it helpful? No. No, it's not. You probably should quit. Uh, is it within your Christian freedom to use a vape device? Yes. Is it helpful? No, and you probably should quit. Okay? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Next statement, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Is it, is it lawful for you as a Christian to go have a successful career? Yes, absolutely. But don't be dominated by your career. 
Uh, can, can you use alcohol in moderation? Well, the Baptists say no. <laughs> so, okay, so, so that, yes, okay, you, you are free to use alcohol in moderation, but do not be dominated by it. Yeah. The, the, this, is, this is what he's getting at. Are we free in Christ? Has Christ paid it all? Yeah. Yes, what do we owe? Nothing, Christ paid it all. We, we are free in Christ. We have Christian liberties, yet we are not to be dominated, and we're to walk in only the things that are helpful, only the things that build up the body of Christ, and only things that, that build us up. This is what he's getting after. Now, they're, they're using this statement and the next statement that we're about to read, um, not so that they can find freedom in uh, you know, vaping, uh, but so that they can find freedom in sexuality. Okay, this is what this is what they're doing. So you can see that they're probably walking in sexual sin. And when confronted about their sexual sin, they're saying all things are lawful for me. That's not all that they're saying. Look at look at what else they're saying. Verse 13, another Corinthian slogan, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Okay. um, here is how you can sum that up. What they're trying to communicate is that sex is just an appetite. Sex is just an appetite. When you're hungry, what do you do? Man, you go get something to eat. When you feel sexual urges, what do you do? Well, you go fulfill those sexual urges. And, and if you're in the mood for this type of food, that's, that's the type of restaurant you go to. If you're in the mood for this type of food, you go to this type of restaurant. In the same way, if you feel these sexual urges, you go gratify them over here. And if you feel these sexual urges, well, you go gratify them over here. You see, the stomach is meant for food and food for the stomach. And the body is meant for sex. And so give sex to the body. That's what they're getting after. Now, Look at the distinction again. Paul gives slogan, distinction. Slogan, distinction. Look back at at verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What, What does he mean What does he mean there? Well, uh, Paul responds to them by first showing them the eschatological reality uh, and then the present reality. The the first is an eschatological reality or the the end time reality uh, of this. And God will destroy both one and the other, referring to stomach and food. That's what he's referring to there in the text. The word destroy here does not mean to totally annihilate, but it means to nullify, meaning God nullifies your earthly stomach because he gives you a new resurrection body and he nullifies food because our resurrection bodies are eternal bodies. Therefore, we don't need food. And now if you're, if you're a really smart theologian, you're probably in your mind asking this question. Well, Pastor Kirk, when Jesus had his resurrection body and he came back uh, to see the disciples on the shore, he made a fire and he cooked and ate fish. You guys are smart. I knew you guys were Bible people. So in Jesus in his resurrection body ate fish and, and, and uh, we are all going to sit down at the marriage supper of the lamb and eat. So how does he, okay, so, so you guys are smart theologians. I'll just go ahead and answer that question for you. Again, in our, we're, we're not exactly sure, but it seems that, that it's this, that in our resurrection bodies, uh, again, our bodies are eternal, so we don't need food, yet we get to eat food and enjoy it. Doesn't that sound good? Man, I, I'm looking forward to that. But so what, he, what he's trying to communicate to them is that they've got their connections wrong. Um, so 
He, he says this next, God will destroy both one and the other. I'm still in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Every time the, 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 every time the Bible uses this term, sexual immorality, I, I feel the need to stop and pause and define what this is just so that we are 110% clear exactly what Paul is talking about. Uh, now, this Greek word here for sexual immorality is the word pornea, which is where we get our modern day term pornography. It refers to any sexual conduct outside of one man and one woman in the context of marriage. So one night stands, sleeping around, premarital sex, homosexuality, bisexuality, viewing uh, pornographic material, anything that is not one man, one woman in the context of marriage is sexual immorality. It doesn't matter if this is the first century, the third century. It doesn't matter if it's 1880, 1960, 2010, 2020. Sexual immorality is defined by God, not culture. Now, here's what he says next. But the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Stay, are y'all with me this morning? So, So they made the connection that the stomach is for food and food is for the stomach. In the same way, the body is meant for sex, and sex is for the body. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, no. Uh, Yeah, food is for the stomach, but the body has so much more to do than just sex. The the body has hands which can pray and lift up another brother and sister in Christ. Uh, The the body has a mouth which can speak and preach and teach the gospel. The the body has uh, shoulders and a back which can go help a brother move when he's moving across town to to be of service to him. The the body has eyes which can weep over another brother or sister in Christ when they're struggling through pain. Uh, That can weep over another brother and sister in Christ when when they are experiencing joy. Either, Either way, the body is meant for so much more. The body is meant for service to the Lord, not just for sex. You got it wrong, Corinthians, is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The body is made for more than just sex. We got to move. Verse 14. I'm only two verses in. Help me, Jesus. Here we go. <clears throat> verse, verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So, so your, your body doesn't just stop existing. This, this was a part of their theology. Uh, th- this was a part of their theology. They taught that what you do with your body doesn't matter at all. What matters is spirituality. It only matters what happens with your soul. It doesn't matter what happens with your body. And the Apostle Paul is correcting this errant theology by teaching them that, no, no, it matters what happens with your body because when Jesus returns, he resurrects your body and gives you a new resurrection body. Yeah. So it matters what happens Uh, within your body. Verse 15, verse 15. Do you not know? He... He says this six times in this chapter. Go, go back and count. Do you not know? Do you, have you guys not figured this out? He's saying, what is wrong with you? <laughs> don't, don't you get this? Don't you know this? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, 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 never. When God saved us, he made us one with him. You are one in Christ. Do you get that, church family? You are one with Christ. There has been a mystical union, yes, but also a literal union. You are literally one with Christ. Listen to the way Colossians 3, 2 through 3 says this. It says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. Listen to this. For you have died. You did. You get that church? You, understand? you don't know what that means? That means your old self. 
That means the way that you were. That, that means all of that sin, all of the ways that you walked in, all of the thoughts that you had, all of that you died. He killed that for you. Amen? Jesus killed all of that old selfness on the cross. For you have died, listen to this, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. <laughs> Do you understand the depth and the reality of that verse? Your old self has died. And now what you are walking in, what you are discovering is that you have been hidden in Christ, hidden in his life, hidden in his death, hidden in his resurrection. And you are now in God and it gets crazier and God lives in you. <laughs> okay, so with that reality in mind, Paul then asked this question. So then how could you ever join yourself, you who are one with God, how could you then ever become one with a prostitute? Never, never, never is, is what the Apostle Paul is saying. And so what I would say to our church body is this. This is why it is a tragedy when Christians view pornography. Why? Because they are looking upon those images with the eyes of Christ. That's why it is such a tragedy. This is why is it a tragedy when a man kisses a woman that is not his wife because he is using the lips of Christ. This is why it is a tragedy when a woman daydreams about a man that is not her husband. Why? Because she is using the mind of Christ. Never, never should that be so. Because we are one. We are one with him. Verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul here is picking up on some Old Testament language. Did you, did you see that Old Testament language? Uh, look back at verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Reaching way back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 uh, through 26, I believe, where, where Moses is, is speaking to us. And he says that when Adam and Eve gets married, right, that, that happens... And then after that, he says, now the two shall become one flesh. Uh, the man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so uh, this is why. Look back at verse 16. It says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes, look, one body with her? Hmm. For as it is written, the two shall become one one flesh. So in, in, in this text, there's this idea of becoming one body uh, th through sex. You become one body or one flesh. What does that mean? Well, uh, it, it clearly means the physical union. It clearly means the physical act of sex, but that's not all that it means. That's not all that it means, church family. Uh, because his questions here wouldn't make sense if it only meant sex. Okay, uh, so y'all aren't with me. Uh, listen to this. It can't mean only sex. Why? Because what he was saying would not make any sense. He would be saying something like this. When you are physically united with someone, don't you know that you're physically united with them? 
Uh, if that, if it only meant sex, Paul would be saying, don't you know that when you have sex, that you're having sex, right? That it doesn't make any sense. So it must mean something more. It must mean something deeper than just sexual union. It means something more. You see, the term flesh in the Bible does not usually <clears throat> refer just to mush, muscle, fat, and tissue. Rather, the, the term flesh or body refers to the whole person, your whole personhood. That, that's what flesh and body means. So you become one new whole person uh, because of the physical act of sex. That's what Paul is saying. Don't you know that you, when you have sex with a prostitute, it is not just a physical act. Rather, you are becoming one new person with her. That's what Paul is wanting to communicate with him. If you're taking notes, jot this down. When two people become one flesh, there is a personal transformation through a literal union of body and soul. This is why uh, when, when the Lord says in the book of Acts, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, he, he doesn't mean just, just muscle and tissue. He, he means I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people um, in, in, that, in that way. So when, when people, when, when, a, when a man and a wife, uh, okay, when they come together, what's happening there in that physical union is that they are becoming one new person. Individuality goes out the window, independence goes out the window, and they are now one new person. Now, if that's not crazy enough, here's what you need to understand. Paul is not devaluing sex. Do you see like, how powerful Paul believes sex is? He believes sex is so powerful that, that it, it takes two people and makes them into one. Our world tells us um, that sex should be casual, that you are able to enter into and out of all of these different types of relationships, and, and you can be with someone physically without being with them emotionally. And so what you do is you enter into these casual relationships and, and, and you find out, you know, which, which, uh, which relationship works for you, which relationship fits with you. But until then, you hold yourself off emotionally. And then once you find the right one, that's when you engage emotionally and become one with them. Absolutely not. That is contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when a man and a woman are together, they become one flesh or one new person. Sex is way too powerful to be casual. So what's happening here <clears throat> is that sex is the giving of all of yourself. It engages the entire person, not just the physical body. Sex is totally self-committing to another person. As a total sidebar, ju just glance at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at this. He's, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Look at, look at these two views, one way over here and one way over here. One view is saying sex is for the body and the body is for sex. That, that, it's all about that. You know, uh, the, you know all, all things are lawful for me. Then there's this camp over here that's saying, no, no, uh, if you are holy and pious, you don't have sex at all. And Paul, in a very radical and clear way, is drawing us to a totally radical and different view from our culture and from their culture. You see, even though this was written a long, long time ago, are these not still the two prevailing views in our society? 
that, that uh, sex is free, do whatever you want, or no, sex is dirty and gross. The Apostle Paul says, no, sex is powerful and it is given to us by God and it is for one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Okay, again, I knew it was going to be quiet. Here's what we need to know. Sex is not defiling, but necessary. Uh, Sex is not about gratification. Sex is the total surrender of yourself to another. Sex declaring all that I have and everything I am, I give to you under the Lord. Your individualism goes out the window. Sex is too powerful to be casual. If you're taking notes, jot this down. You must never have physical oneness without giving your whole life to that person in the context of marriage and unity in the Lord. Our culture says, give your body away, but don't give yourself away. And the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The truth is when we unite our bodies, therefore we have united every aspect of our lives. To become naked and vulnerable sexually, means that we have become naked and vulnerable in every aspect of our life. Goodbye, independence. First, I belong to Christ. Second, I belong to my spouse. Okay, we got to move. Verse 18. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Wow. Let's let's think about this deeply together, church family. First off, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, let's be clear. Paul is not saying flee from sex. As a matter of fact, uh, he's going to go on in chapter 7 to let us know that married couples uh, should be having uh, frequent and fulfilling sex. He's going to say that. Uh, I I mean, I'm I'm just going to read what he says, right? Uh, He he is going to say that. So he's not saying flee from sex. He's saying flee from sexual immorality. Run away from it like Joseph did from Potiphar's house. Amen? Uh, get, Get far, far away from it. Then, then he says this, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. I, man, I rolled that over in my mind this week, trying to figure out what he's talking about. Because, because I had this thought, isn't substance abuse against your own body? Isn't that a sin against your own body? I think so. So, so why does he say every other sin a person commits is outside their body, but the sexual immoral person commits sin against their own body? Isn't gluttony a sin against your own body? Again, I, I was having trouble understanding. Again, if we understand that when the Bible uses the word body or flesh, it refers to the whole person, not just to muscle and tissue. Is that helping this verse come alive for you? Okay, so, so here's, here's what he is saying. So the married person who commits adultery sins against his own body. How? He has fractured the union of his soul to his wife's soul. You see that? Okay, uh, so, so when the single person who has sex outside of their marriage uh, sins, they sin against their own body by giving of their physical self without giving all of themselves, specifically in the covenant of marriage. Do you, do you see how he's, how he's saying that, how he's using that? Just, just jot this down. Maybe it'll, it'll help, help us understand. In marriage, the physical union seals the covenant promise to give all of oneself to the other. 
That's what the physical act of sex does. It seals the covenant promise. And so when you go seal a covenant promise with someone else that has not been publicly presided over by a pastor and blessed by God himself, you sin against your own body. Because sex is the covenant seal. It seals that promise. And so every time a man and a wife are together, it reconfirms that covenant promise. It shows that that covenant promise has been sealed by the physical act of lovemaking. And every time you do that, it is showing that the covenant has been sealed. Amen? Man. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's what we need to do. Um, what I want to do, as I, as I looked at this, th- there's so much deep theology, yet I also understand that anytime we talk about sex or sexuality, there are people in this room who have very, very deep wounds. And so here's what I want to do right now. I, I, I want to get to the practical, and, and I'm, and I'm going to get to the last two verses, but l- let's, let's pause right here and take a breath, can we? There is healing for you. There is healing in the hands of Jesus. Some of you have stepped outside of your marriages and there are deep wounds and pains there. Some of you have been abused sexually. Some of us uh, have done things in our college years or in our high school days before we got married. I know there are wounds in this room and I want you to hear me very clearly. As Jesus carried that cross down that road, as they nailed his hands and his feet, as they raised that cross in the air and he hung there, there hung the healing for your wounds. You can find healing and that journey can begin today. If you want to talk more about that, I would love to talk with you after the service, okay? You come and you talk to me. You come and you talk to Pastor David. We want to talk with you about finding healing from those deep wounds that come from sex and sexuality. Come talk to us. Now, what I want to share with you is a principle and then some very practical things. Can we do that, church family? I want to share with you a principle and then some very practical things. The the call here is for us to flee from sexual immorality, right? Flee from sexual immorality. That's the call. Every man in the room, men, look at me. Jesus is calling you to flee from sexual immorality. Every woman in the room, Jesus is calling you to flee from sexual immorality. Run away from it. How do we do that? Let's do a principle and then some very practical things, okay? The principle is this. The principle is this. Here you go. I've given you this principle before. I'm going to do it again. Set the fence far away from the edge of the cliff. That's the principle. That's the principle. Set the fence far away from the edge of the cliff. If falling off the edge of the cliff is sexual immorality, stop setting the fence as close as you can get. Why? Because you're a sinner like me, and you're going to get close to the fence. The problem is when you step over the fence, you fall off the cliff. So... Let us be people of God, holy people, who take that fence and we move it back and we move it a little further back and we move it way, way back from the edge of the cliff so that on our worst day when we get real stupid and we decide to step over that fence, we don't fall off the edge of the cliff. We just have to step back over and do some repenting 
and our marriages are saved, our, our, our integrity is saved because we haven't fallen off the edge of the cliff. We, we, we've continued to maintain Christ's honor by not falling off the edge of the cliff. Set the fence far back from the edge of the cliff. Okay? Set the fence far back from the edge of the cliff. That's the big idea. Principle, you can take that principle and work it into every area of your life, okay, as far as sexual immorality is concerned. But I also, I also want to give some very practical things. First practical thing, number one, chaperone all one-on-one -on -one meetings with members of the opposite sex. Chaperone? <laughs> what, what am I, middle school? I don't even know chaperone. Hey, I need a chaperone. I'm not to be trusted. I know me. I know me. I know what, what, what I am capable of. I'm a sinner, y'all. I, I know what's in my heart. We, what we have to do is we have to be open and honest enough to realize what's in our hearts and say, nope, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm not going into that meeting just one-on-one -on -one with, with, with a member of the opposite sex. I, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. So chaperone all meetings you have with members of the opposite sex. Um, here's, here's how you can do it. Every time you send a text message to somebody of the opposite sex, just include your spouse. That's easy, right? Just, just include uh, somebody else. If you're single, you don't have a spouse, just include another brother or sister in Christ. Just include somebody else on that text thread so that it's not just you texting that person. Uh, if you have to go sit down in a business meeting and you're meeting with, with a client that, that's a member, of the, just ask a coworker to go with you. It's easy. And, and okay, so let's say that it's a surprise meeting. You didn't know about it, but you have to, and, and they're real simple. Uh, get your phone out and just hit record and just carry your phone with you, right? It's, it's so easy. You hit FaceTime and, and just, you know, hey, I, I know that we're about to have this meeting. Can you just give me a second? Uh, fa FaceTime. I'm just going to FaceTime another coworker just because I, I want their input on this situation. Hey, are you here? Okay, cool. Hey, I've got so-and-so with me here on FaceTime. And so now you've chaperoned that meeting one-on-one -on -one with a member of the opposite sex, okay? Set the fence far, far back. Man, that sounds crazy. Is it crazy? No, it's not crazy. It is a dedication to holiness is what it is. Okay, number two. <clears throat> Make sure your spouse has 100% access to all your devices. And if you are single, give access to other trusted believers. 100% access. Your wife, your husband needs to know the passcode to your phone. Your, your spouse, your, your Christian brothers and sisters need to be able to open up your laptop and get in that mug. It is, look, it is so dangerous. Technology is dangerous. That guy sounds crazy, but I'm not crazy. It kills people all the time. It takes people out all the time. It destroys marriages all the time. You have got to be careful, church family. Make sure that your spouse has 100% access to all your devices. And if you are single, make sure that other trusted... Hey, listen, listen. Get in your DNA group, in your community group, because I know all y'all go to community group. I know all y'all show up on DNA nights. And so let your DNA family have access to just write it all down on a piece of paper or you you know you guys most of you are millennials you text all of your passcodes right to them and just let them have here you go i am an open book when it comes to all of my devices and all my technology okay flee from sexual morality set the fence far back number three don't use social media unless you are mature enough stop right there don't use Social media, unless you are mature enough to handle it, and I'm telling you right now, there, there are many of us in the room who are just simply not mature enough to handle social media, and we should just take it and turn it off and not use it at all. Amen. 
And you should not feel ashamed about that. You should battle and fight for your holiness. You should just be open and honest and be like, nope, I'm not mature enough. I, I, I covet too much to, to be on social media. I lust too much to be on social media. I, I get sucked into social media way too much, and I, I'm out. I'm just out. Be, be, be mature enough to know that you're not mature enough to handle social media and just turn it off. Okay. <clears throat> and don't use social media unless you're mature enough to handle it, and then use it sparingly. Number four, Give permission to your DNA group to ask you about sexual temptation. I, listen, I don't care if you're 14, 44, 84. Uh, it, it's not something that goes away. I don't care if you're male or female. It's not something that goes away. Give your DNA group permission as you guys meet in your DNA groups to say, hey, man, how, how are you doing in this area? Are, are you okay? Can I pray for you? And let's have the courage to be honest about where we really are. Let's have the courage to say, you know what? There, there's this girl that I work with, and mm, she, she's a stumbling block to me. And I need you to pray for me and pray for my marriage. Men, have the courage to say that. Amen. Okay, number five. Beware flirtatious remarks that lead to emotional connections. Beware of flirtatious remarks. Oh, that sweater looks nice. No, I'm, I really like that. So beware of flirtatious remarks that lead to emotional connections. That's where it always starts. It always starts in the mind, church family. It always starts in the mind. It always starts with a flirtatious comment. It's built upon, it, it, it gets into a regular rhythm of flirtatious comments, and then it becomes an emotional connection, and after that emotional connection is formed, then it's just, it's just coffee. You know, we're, we're just sitting down, we're just having coffee, and then, and then after it's just coffee, then it's just a drink, and then after just a drink, then it's a hotel room. Amen. Beware of flirtatious remarks that lead to emotional connection. Okay, um, so, so what's the principle? Set the fence far back from the edge of the cliff. What's some real practical things? I, I hope I've outlined some of those there for you so that we can flee from sexual morality. Verses 19 through 20, and then I'm out of your hair. Here we go. Or do you not know that the body is a temple? Church family, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know that? If you are a Christian here this morning, the Holy Spirit, holy, 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 that is the set apart one, the one that is set apart for godly use, the sanctified one, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are his temple, and as we gather collectively as individual bricks, we build the temple of God, as it says in, in Peter 2, 9. Or do you not know that, you, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Listen to this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So, his, his big conclusion here, so, so what? So glorify God in your body. Church family, don't you see? Don't you see that as, as they nailed the nails into his hands, we now give him our hands. As they nailed the nails into his feet, we now go where he wants us to go. As they beat his body to a bloody mess, we now give him our bodies. As the blood ran down into his eyes from the crown of thorns, we now give him our eyes. As his body resurrected from the grave, we now give him our bodies. That's the call of Christ. 
Jesus gave us his body, so now we give our bodies to him. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. So now what determines what a Christian does with his or her body is determined by what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the presence of your spirit as we talk of weighty matters. Lord, I pray for those in the room today, this morning, who are wounded, who are broken because of past sexual experiences. Lord, I pray now that you would send your spirit in a healing way. Send your spirit in a way that would bring peace to those who are hurting this morning. Let us see and know and experience the healing that comes from the cross, the healing that comes from your conquering over death and Satan and demons. Let us experience that healing this morning for those who are hurting. Lord, even those who have brought these wounds upon themselves, Lord, still bring healing. Bring healing this morning, Lord. In addition, Lord, I ask that the people of Gospel Community Church would be a holy people, a set-apart people, a sanctified people, a type of people that, like Joseph, would flee from Potiphar's house, that we would run far away, run, run, run away from sexual immorality so that we might be holy in your sight. I ask all these things in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.